I'm David Wissell, Director of Marketing and Communications at Amber and BGA, and you're listening to the Ambition Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Minter Dial, author of You Lead for the New Leaders of Tomorrow, to talk through all things leadership, transparency, culture, and authenticity, as well as how to pivot when things go wrong and how to avoid, or indeed embrace, unintended backlash. Well, Minter, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us for the podcast today. I thought it might be useful if we kick off the interview with you, perhaps telling us a little bit about yourself and your career. Long story. The short version is I am 56-year-old American French citizen living in London. I've changed countries 15 times, homes 34 times, one single and extraordinary wife. And uh, currently, I'm enjoying life as an author, speaker, and elevator where my objective is to elevate the debate and connect dots, people, and ideas. Great stuff. Thank you. Now, we're here today to talk about all things leadership. But before we do, I thought it might be useful if you tell us about your new book, uh, You Lead for the New Leaders of Tomorrow. So it'd be quite interesting from my perspective if you could tell me a little bit about what inspired you to write the book, the the authorship journey, and maybe some of the main themes that come out of it. So... As an 18-year-old, David, I had this idea of what was going to make my life fulfilled. And at that time, I wrote down a list of five things that I wanted to achieve. Well, one of them, having been a literary fellow and studier all my life, really, um, was to publish a book. And in 2014, I I finally said, all right, time to, time to do it. I was 50 years old. And I went to Croatia and I wrote 30,000 book words for the book of my life, which was essentially supposed to be a philosophy of life and work. And, and then unbelievably, over the course of the next six years, I had literally every year a bazooka moment that took me off course and made me do something else. Specifically, I ended up doing a documentary film and a book about my grandfather, a Second World War story that was on television. And so I I had to put aside the book of my life to write this, do the film, which took two years of my life to do. And then I came back to it and said, all right, I'm going to write the book of my life. Now I'm ready. And yet another bazooka moment came in. So I had a number of valleys and peaks going along, trying to get this thing to happen. And then finally, 2019, all right, I'm ready to write the book of my life. I wrote the book of my life. I delivered the manuscript with great excitement, uh, roughly the 13th of March, 2020, which more or less was seven days before we went into the proverbial lockdown. And, And through that, then my publisher was fellowed. I thought my book would never happen. I got a chance to live the lockdown and see just how relevant the topic within it was. And more than anything, I just thought, oh my God, this is it. This is, this is actually the perfect time for this story. It was relevant before, but it came in spades more relevant. And the whole topic is how to be you, not just how to be you at work, but how to be you. And the more you are you throughout everything you do, the better you will be as a leader in enterprise or in business. So, I mean, you're touching there on the idea of authenticity. And that is, like you say, something that we've talked about in business and all all the sort of circles surrounding business for years. But you're absolutely right. And I think that 2020 led to almost a a new definition of authenticity because with Zoom, we can see into people's houses. We see a lot more of their lives. We're seeing them almost bring work into their life and vice versa. So I suppose... I'd like to find out from yourself why you think it's important to be authentic at all times when you lead. Why is it important to, to, to bring your whole self to work, including your faults, your imperfections, 
as well. What, what, why is that something that that your staff, your colleagues, your your contacts, your customers should see? All right. So there, there's like a practical element to this, which is that prior to the pandemic, this notion of authenticity was a coming up. And the reason for it was that the people are the ones that move the products. And whereas that was true even 25 years ago in a one-to-mass public you know, publicity mode, the fact is that through the internet and the different technologies, we now have so many more people re-presenting your company. And those people, even though they might be just tapping on a keyboard, are, are living human beings. And, and what they're presenting of the company comes through their energies, their values, and so on. And to the extent that you need to be now spontaneous, immediate, you don't have time to do work by committee when it comes to communicating. So naturally, mistakes, over-excitement, two or three exclamation marks too many, will come through, whether it's in the syntax or the, the vocabulary you're using. So that was before this. The, the fact is that in, in the today's world, we've got a, a situation that's an existential crisis, and everybody's got BS spray right in their pocket, and they're going to pull it up on you. What, what, do you. what are you all about? Why are you bullshitting me? You know, don't you know what's more important in life? And so outside of the fact that you can see in and see my cats or dogs or kids or whatever, we, we have a higher desire to do things that are meaningful. And being authentic is far more meaningful than being superficial. And so there's like a whole pragmatic element to it. But the big reason for this is that it's far more interesting to know who you are. And that's the real message underneath this. Don't just profess authenticity. And by the way, it's not about being 100% authentic at work. The key point is figuring out who you are. Do that hard work. Understand your imperfections. Understand when you can be triggered. And that is what's going to make you a better leader. And by the way, feel a lot more fulfilled through life. And furthermore, it actually leads to success. But that's the, you know, that's the cherry on the pie. Absolutely. And I think that there is a fine line, though, between authentic and unprofessional. And I think there is a, there is a sort of rhetoric in workplaces. Oh, you know, she shouldn't have done that. That was very unprofessional. Oh, he's behaving in a very unprofessional manner. So where do you sort of draw that line between authentic and unprofessional with colleagues? And I suppose, how do you manage your faults to sort of get that balance perfect almost? I know that's probably easier said than done, but yeah. yeah. No, it's a messy world. It's like relationships, you know, or love. How do you, how do you fall in love? <laughs> yeah. How do you manage a marriage for, for 40 years? It's a long story. There are two axes that are really relevant to this uh, answer. The first is yourself. And on a scale of you, you have a professional self, performing, educated, understands what profit and losses, cash flow, whatever. That's the performance side of you, your, your competency within your work. Then you have on the far end of the scale, your intimate you, your secret garden. And we all have secrets and well may we keep them. Because as I like to say, there is beauty in mystery. In the middle, there is this personal thing. This is stuff that doesn't need to be intimate and private, but is not in the domain of professional. So the key point in this scale is how much further beyond the professional towards the intimate you're prepared to go. And you have to, you have to understand yourself in order to really gather what that, what that scale looks like. And so 
the, the key point is not because you have intimate that you shouldn't have personality within your business. So that's, that's what you need to work out within you where you're comfortable. The second one, the second axis, if you will, is around governance and industry. There are certain industries where your sense of humor while you're cutting up somebody on an operating table, probably not going to be useful. I mean, it might be, by the way, because you you got a team around you and so on and so forth. But let's say that that's not the axis by which you're going to be judged. And you, you, you do need to be a good team player, even as a surgeon. But let's say you need to focus on the competency within there. You can, when you're sending a, a rocket to the moon or wherever, you kind of need to get your shit together and be a good engineer. Of course, there are emotions within it, and those should come out. You should allow those to happen. But So there's a scale of, of how much you can be you or how much of you is really appropriate in the workplace. But to the extent, even an engineer working on rockets or a surgeon working on a body, it's about relationships. And, and even if you're that surgeon, to be have that exercise, exercising surgery so often, keeping your energy about you, you need to tap into who you are, because if you're constantly cutting yourself, your personality out of your profession, one day that gap will come to pay, you'll come to pay the price. So you, you, so basically in the second axis, there's a, there's a scope for more or less personality. But even when it's tight, when you need to be really highly competent, you should be allowing for relationships and your personality to come through. That brings me beautifully to my next question, actually. And it's one that we talk about quite a lot on this podcast. So we talk a lot about purpose, values, culture. Um, and it's one thing to to aspire to work in a certain company because it's got great PR, but lots of people end up in organizations where the culture, the values, the purpose just doesn't fit in with who they are. I imagine you'll agree with me in saying if that's the situation, then they wouldn't be able to be authentic. They would have to be something they're not. What would your advice to people who are working in organizations where the, the values aren't really in line with what they believe in are? Is it a case of leave or is it a case of work to try and change that culture? Well, that, then the answer will inevitably also depend because it depends just where you are in the, in, the, in the scale of hierarchy and how much you can affect change. Because if you're at the very bottom end, the ambition of wanting to change a company might look a little bit um, daunting to say the least. So if, if the case is that you are fully aware of yourself You've done the hard work to absolutely know what your three core values are, what they stand for, and what they look like. And the company you're working for does not have that overlap. I would generally say it's not a place to stay. However, A, I, I, I want to make sure and dig in on how much you're absolutely sure about your values. And, and to the extent that the company actually does have values, is that truly the case or not? Because most companies don't have those well and truly. It's not very clear. So you can be mistaken in the, in the reading because your boss is a shit and you want to leave. The boss might not have the right values or ones that are aligned with the rest of the company. In that case, then the interesting thing is to start looking for somewhere else within the company. Because if you subscribe to the purpose of the company, but you have a, you're in the wrong place, sometimes it's not about, well, you're not bad. You just may be in the wrong place. So there could be ways to use this as a vehicle to try to find yourself a better place, more aligned with who you are, what you want to achieve. And it could be a different department or a different brand within the company. And certainly if your boss is a dick with a different boss. Thank you for that. <laughs> and I suppose like flipping it around then, a lot of, um, and thinking I suppose about leadership in general, 
Um, a lot of our listeners are students and graduates from business schools. In fact, all of them are. And they're obviously going to have a lot of theoretical knowledge about leadership and management and what that means in the real world. What would you like to see business schools teaching people in terms of leadership? Is it about, do you think there's enough authenticity coming through MBA programs into sort of emerging managers? Um, would you like to see more of that come through? What, what are the sort of key points that you think need to be covered off? I love that question. It's interesting. I think at business schools, I certainly went to one, it's a one-year program. I think we should be introducing more things like sleep, how to live, how important it is to do exercise and uh, mental health components, well-being components. So I think that's a segment that I'd like to see more of, which kind of pertains to the messiness of life. And we, we tend to do all these theories And unfortunately, we also tend to be detached from certain realities. Most of the students will have done maybe three, five years of business life, but that's not going to be at the high end of the scale. And I remember courses where we were kind of talking of hiring and firing a thousand people. I mean, up until then, I mean, of course, I I did work for a large investment bank, but barely had a thousand employees, you know, much less tens or hundred thousands. And I certainly wasn't leading them. So a lot of theory. And the issue that I, I would want to bring up is, Move away from the tyranny of certain thoughts that are idealistic and theoretical. So to name one, the tyranny of purpose. I am all about purpose, but I'm also all about survival. Because if all you've got is purpose and that's it, and we want to save the planet, we want to do all this, we want, and you're not profitable, you serve no purpose. So the element of reality with regard to these high ideals like transparency or ethics or empathy or purpose. There's so many of these things which are hard to calculate or at least measure. Move away from the tyranny of them and see how to integrate more of them. And I like to think of the integration of purpose rather than the tyranny of purpose. I love that. Thank you. Okay, so moving on a little bit from authenticity to transparency. I had a little look at your website before the interview, and I noticed that you'd written a blog around how transparency can mean different things to different people, which I thought was fascinating, actually, because I think, you know, we do talk about transparency very much as one blanket term to describe it. So you basically outline how transparency can be used differently in different companies, which, again, I find fascinating. I'm really wondering how you think this translates to leadership and in terms of authenticity versus transparency, how this sort of plays out in, in how you see like the leaders of tomorrow in the new normal. So just like within authenticity, I have this secret garden component because I don't like the tyranny of authenticity either, like radical authenticity, radical transparency. Uh -uh. I think that we're more complex and, and there is beauty in mystery. In transparency, there's also a scale. And the question is, why are you striving for transparency? There's always an agenda behind transparency. The agenda of a transparency is to unhide the agenda, but there's always an agenda. And and within a company, there are always going to be things that you need to keep secret. For example, uh, when I'm doing a secret launch (laughs) and and you want to have a a different marketing campaign and exclusivity to it, well, secrecy is totally appropriate, permission granted. So IP, intellectual property. You can choose to keep it secret. You can choose to share it open. Fine. That's a choice. Permission granted. So the the nature of the game is that if you have to figure out what your intention is in going towards transparency, because for example, you might have an issue of trustworthiness and just being transparent without working on the trustworthiness 
sure, transparency is a great way to gain trustworthiness, but it's not the only way. And so you need, you need to architect where you need to be transparent in order to achieve what intention. Because it's not about doing just laying everything out open. It needs to be a project for the entire company. Why are you being transparent? Ask yourself the question. Explore that. And that will probably uncover, hopefully, at least an indicator of the path you need to be choosing in how much transparency you want to be developing within your organization, internally, externally with the stakeholders, towards the clients or not. Do you think, though, that there's, a, again, a balance? So, for example, if, you, if there's a line manager that wants to be transparent and, and tell their staff and their, their teams as much as they can, but then it's found out they have been keeping something secret for perhaps HR purposes, that then undermines that transparency. And by the same token, should we as leaders be assuming that the rest of the people in our organization are trustworthy, transparent, and people that we want to collaborate with? Is that a cultural thing or is it sort of taking it in a case by case? Because I guess so much of this, you you know, you can have all these values yourself and adopt that sort of mantra of authenticity and transparency. But if that's not shared with, with colleagues or even externals with whom we're working, that then leads to a lot of problems, doesn't it? It does indeed. I, I mean, in the end of the day, as I said, it has to be a project of the company, an enterprise-wide thing. Because if you have pockets of transparency in an opaque organization, well, first of all, that's a leak and causes other problems. And, and otherwise, you've got inconsistencies of who you are. So if you're a line manager and you want to be authentic or at least transparent, it, you, and transparency is part of your authenticity, it's probably a good idea to sort of start saying upfront what your lines of of it are, because it it doesn't take much to realize you can't be transparent about everything. If I'm going to fire you tomorrow, but I haven't got all the papers worked, I'm not going to tell you today. I'm going to fire you tomorrow. Let's be let's be pragmatic. Let's be smart about it, Godfathers. So this idea is that uh, so I I come into my job. This is how I this is how I rumble. If you've thought about it and done it enough, you know properly your frontiers. So listen, I like to be truthful, which includes you telling me the truth, which means that I know how to accept complaints and and critiques, and I have to demonstrate that behavior. And then I, I also believe that I, I'd like to tell you as much as I know upfront why we're doing stuff, which takes time. So you have to plan the time to explain why you're asking for something to be done. So you're being transparent about it, but that takes time. So you need to make an equation that allows for this to happen. Otherwise, what's going to happen is you're going to say something and do another. So architecting that allows you then to say also, by the way, there's certain things I can't say. I'm in a position of responsibility. I can't tell you when I'm firing you I or you know the like or whatever, or surprise. So I won't always be telling you everything. I sometimes won't have the time because that's life. But to the best of my abilities, I'm going to attempt to be transparent. This is how I rumble. This is what I expect of you in return. And then yeah, I love that. It hopefully goes well. So it's laying your cards out on the table and explaining to people in advance how you intend to be and then take it from there, really, in a case-by-case. Case. Yeah, and you need to know who you are well, by the way, because if you haven't figured out whether or not you can receive criticism, then that won't go down well. Yeah. And if you're, if you're someone who likes to fabricate, well, this is not going to go down well. You need to know yourself well. And sometimes you you can create an Im- image of yourself, which is not actually who you are. It might be nice to say that's what I want to be. This might be the, the thing that business schools talk about, but I'm not. Okay, that makes sense. 
So you recently wrote an article for our magazine Ambition about unintended backlash. And I was wondering if you could give me some insight into how to avoid this and indeed how to deal with it if in, if it does happen. Oh, it certainly does. I mean, it happens because in the end of the day, we've lost control of who we are. We are what other people say we are. And, and so it's really hard to mastermind and control everything. So unintended definitely happens. Backlashes too. Sometimes they're, they're intended or sometimes they're unintended. So there's a whole spectrum within this. I, I want to start maybe by talking about marketing and, and what does marketing entail? Some people like to say, well, it's about getting your company to stand out in order to sell the products and services that you're providing at the best possible price. All right. Somehow Taylor is in there. We've got different ideas about what we're trying to achieve. I tend to think it's about adding value and, of course, also getting your word out. There are other premises, but I, I like to think of it as adding value. And as such, sometimes you need to know your stakeholders, who you're adding value to. The final piece of this is actually looking at how you're adding value to your employees' lives. And if you are forgetting them, whether or not you work in the hotel industry, the luxury industry, the aeronautical industry, your employees count. So you need to know how you as a marketer, even though you're marketing outside, are helping to add value to within. Because if you're flat, you know, you're <laughs> flagellating your employees to make them work to serve the customers, but they get flagellated, I don't believe they're going to bring their full discretionary energy to work. So here's the thing. When you have this idea of making providing value and and making you stand out, well, you need to know what you stand for. And then you're going to have congruency. That is a personal story. So you need to know who you, what you as an individual stand for as a leader. You need to be able to check in with your employees what they stand for. And of course, when you come into a legacy business, you can't just sort of whitewash and start all over again. You need to pay attention to that, figure it out. But the best chances you have of standing out is when you know what you stand for really as a group. So that includes inside out, working with the employees, then your stakeholders, all the way through to the clients understanding what you stand for, make choices, and that's going to help you to stand out. Sometimes that'll cause backlashes, but it may not be as worryful because the people who are backlashing may not be part of your core constituency. You have to make these choices. Okay, great. One last question. Not an easy one, but um, want, want to finish the interview. If somebody's been listening to this podcast and they're sort of thinking, I really need to change. I really want to, to make a change. I want to move towards more authentic leadership. I want to be more transparent. What would be your first tip to get them started in that journey? Well, can you write down with some level of synthesis who you want to be in 25 years' time? Let that one sit in a second. Who you want to be in 25 years' time? That way out. What is that year? Where are you seated? Who's seated around you? And who are you? Don't worry about what you've been doing and who you have been, but start zeroing in on that. And if it's clear, then make sure every day you're contributing to that person who you want to be, which will help you decide what you're not going to do and what you're going to do. Because in today's world, it's really easy to be jumping on anything that comes along. Oh, oh, there's a thing, famine. I want to I finish, finish famine in the world. Oh, I think it's it, women, we need to have more equality, diversity, inclusion. Okay, all right. Oh, gosh, there's a thing called climate change. We should fix that. I mean, there's any number of big causes. 
And each of them is individually interesting. We can justify it. Intelligence has made us allow, oh, each of these really cool, really got them. But what's your backstory? How does it relate to who you are? Because by the way, there really are 100% of choices out there. And your, your issue is to find your unique path, your unique story, craft that. Then you're going to be on a path towards authenticity because it'll be easy for you to say no, to give you the time and the energy to do what you really want to be yes. And, and too often, we don't do this hard work. We all have a very broad idea of who we want to be. It's, yeah, I kind of get it. Yeah, I can imagine yeah, I want to be, well, I, let's see, I want to be healthy. I want to be wealthy. I want to have a family or not. Or I, This is what I kind of have an idea, but that's not enough. It's got to be a precise idea. So where are you seated? Are you seating in Sicily in a table with vineyards above you and sun coming in? Or are you in a bed and breakfast in Scotland? Except, you know, where are you? And get a vision of that and start crafting it. And of course, it's not designed to be A, a destination or B, perfect, but it's going to get you dialing into who you want to be. And then after you figure that out, you can figure out what you want to do. Amazing. I always think to myself that in so many cases, the journey's just as exciting as the destination anyway. 100%. (laughs) And by the way, it's a journey. I have my own North Star and I've adapted it over the years. And and that's been part of my journey. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. And someone comes in when I say I like to connect dots, people and ideas. Well, sometimes by being open to other ideas, don't get too fixated on stuff because dogma is is pretty lethal. Yeah, 100%. Well, You've given us a lot to think about today. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us for the interview. I think that's all we've got time for for today. So thank you once again, Minta. It's been great to speak to you. Thank you, David. Well, thank you once again, Minta. It was great to speak to you today. As I mentioned at the start of the interview, his article about unintended backlash, as well as a wealth of other articles, pieces, features, and analyses on the topics we've discussed today are available on the Ambition website at www association of mbas.com forward slash ambition and if you want to read Minter's book you lead for the new leaders of tomorrow you can find that on all good booksellers